This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. Uh, we're going to conclude our series that we've been in. And uh, if you have missed chapters one through four, by the way, my wife shut it down last Sunday. Clap and thank God for Pastor Julia doing a great job teaching James 4. And uh, you can catch up on YouTube or on podcast. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with chapter five. This is the end. This is the last. But it is my biggest pet peeve when you are in church and we don't all have context for what we're talking about. So the book of James has been written by, we think, Je Jesus' brother, James. His audience, who he writes to, was a crowd of folks that would go to church on Sunday, but could never connect their faith to Monday. So they were kind of like, you know, believers, but they didn't, you know, walk, walk the talk. So James is like, no, 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 you can't just show up, bless me, heal me, promote me, love me, Jesus, and do whatever you want Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Wow. So God actually cares. He says it this way, faith without works is, what is that word he uses? Yeah. It's dead. In other words, it's, it's irrelevant. It's void. It doesn't matter. He says, show me your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my lifestyle by how I live this thing out. So his passion is to get us out of church Sunday and into faith Monday. That's his passion. He wants us to walk with God, talk with God, live for God every day. And so this is his, his desire, that we would get there and we would actually mature as believers. We wouldn't stay just as new converts, as new believers, but we'd actually mature into a faith that pleases God. A mature faith that walks with God and can go through trials and tribulations. And I'm telling you right now, I have a seven-year-old, five-year-old, three-year-old, and my Clive turns one tomorrow. Shout out to Clivey boy. And with my five-year-old and my three-year-old, I'm trying to mature them. I'm teaching them how to share. I'm teaching my five-year-old how to brush his own teeth. I'm teaching my boys how, that, that their dad is better than their mom. I'm trying to mature them. Who am I preaching to right now? But uh, that I'm trying to mature them. James writes as a desire to mature believers and get us into another level of faith. Now, he has written such incredible insights, things like chapter 1. He says, consider it pure joy when God tests your faith. In other words, what he's really trying to say throughout the whole book is that God has a vision for your life and he knows where he's taking you, but he can't afford for you to show up in your potential with deficiencies and the lack of character to handle the blessing he's prepared for you. So God tests you not because he's upset with you. He tests you and raises you because he's in love with you and has a plan for you. So he knows where he's taking you. He knows where this whole thing is going. Anybody, you ever seen the movie Karate Kid? Shout out to Mr. Miyagi. I love Karate Kid. Remember, he did the wax on, wax off. You got a little Daniel boy out there painting fences and washing cars, thinking like, why in the world am I over here painting fences and washing cars? I'm trying to be in the ring. But once he got in the ring, the things he was trained to do were natural and easy to them. 
God is raising you up and training you right now for the future he has in store for you. He doesn't want you to get in the ring and in the promised land and not have the tools. I wish you'd clap like you really mean it. Come on, this is the last service of the day. Lest you show up here and not have the character, the stamina, the endurance, the tools in your tool belt that you need to withstand the moment. I like the way Christine Kane says it. She says, if the light that is on you shines brighter than the light that is in you, the light that is on you will destroy you. God cares so much about your success. He's training you right now for what he's planned in the future. So he's got to do some things, not because he's upset or you did something wrong. He's just, he's got a whole plan for this thing. He knows where he's taking you. Somebody say amen. amen. I say all that to say God is now getting ready to speak to us. James chapter 5. James is concluding this whole thing. And watch what this chapter is themed by. Read verse 13 with me. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. That's Samoan Jesus. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he went ahead and prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. I did not enjoy studying this message this week because every time I read Elijah prayed it wouldn't rain and it stopped. I was studying my weather app this week and I was like, God, if you did it for Elijah, you better show up for your boy. <laughs> and today it kind of rained a little bit. Anyways, I want to preach a message today. Write down the title. It's called Patience, Prayer, and the Power of Practical. It's really what this chapter is about as we're ending the book of James. Patience, prayer, and the power of this James. Practical. God is so practical. Let's pray and let's believe that he'll speak to us today. Come on, let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you that you are wonderful, you are kind, you are loving, and you are so good. We ask today, open up our eyes so we can see who you are. Open up our ears so we can sense your voice and direction. We thank you that you are for us and you're not against us. You have a plan to prosper us. We say yes and amen to that plan over our plan. We love you, and we thank you that today the chips and the guac will be awesome, and the commercials will be fantastic. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, come on, let's clap and thank the Lord. We're about to go in. Raise your hand if you're about to go in. If you didn't raise your hand, you are. You just, you, you faking it. Anyways, write down number one today. We're going to jump right in. Stand firm, be patient. That's what he's going to say right off the gate. Stand firm, be patient. So important for where you're going that you learn how to wait on God. The thing I've learned about God is that God's timeline time and timetable is different than mine. 
The Bible says a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. His ways are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. So God's God moves in a different speed. I know eventually he's going to show up, but sometimes I have to wait on God. I don't know anybody. I've never met anybody in my lifetime that's been like, you know what? I don't know why. I just love waiting. I, lo I don't know. I love red lights. I just love the TSA line. I just, ah. Oh. I love going to the drive through Starbucks and the lines just through. Oh, I just, it's my favorite. I love waiting for emails and just waiting on my spouse. Oh, it's my favorite. I just love waiting on my kids. It's my, it's my favorite. Nobody likes waiting. Nobody likes patience. But the reality is, is that we have to learn how to stand firm in our faith and be patient with God because sometimes I come to church and I raise my hand. I'm like, God, I want it to be here tomorrow. I want the check. I want the miracle. I want the breakthrough. And God's like, okay, I'll do it in my timeline, not yours. I'll do it when I see fit, not when you see fit. And so I've learned how to wait on God, how to have patience with God. He is never too early and he's never too late. He is always on time, but I got to wait on the timing of God. So the so the writer James says, stand firm, be, be patient. Watch how he says it here. Put it up on the screen, uh, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So he's basically saying, um, you guys know how like farmers sow in one season and then they have to wait and they have to wait for the one thing they cannot control, which is rain. They have to wait for the rain to come just as a farmer has to wait for the rain and the harvest. Stand firm, be strong and wait on God. Why is this important? Because if you don't wait on God, you will take matters into your own hands. If you don't wait on God, you will bail out of the situation. If you don't exercise patience now, you will always manipulate. You will always force. You will always make you are that cute, that talented, that gifted, that you can force things. But the Bible's saying, no, no, no. Have patience and wait on God. Seven people clap. Everybody else is like, nah. Mm -mm. Don't like that one. I've just learned through life that I've got to stand firm. I've got to stand my ground and I got to be patient and I got to wait because I know that God has a fast forward button and God can hit it whenever he wants. God can do in one day what would cost you five years. God can do in one moment what would cost you a decade. I, I was just this last week in the Bay Area. Julie and I went up and preached at a church on Wednesday night. And this new church plant just doing such a fantastic job. And, and we were up there. And the guy before he started the church, he told me when I got up there, somebody wrote him a million-dollar check before he started his church. I said, you stole my check. That was my check. God, why did you give it to him? I pray for that check. Just like that. How many of you remember Pastor Mike Todd, who recently came to our church from Tulsa, Oklahoma? And we love Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike, when he was here, he was telling us this story. Uh, last year, he had five preaching invitations to preach at churches outside of his own in Tulsa. 
Five churches wanted Pastor Mike to come. At the end of the year, his assistant gave him the idea that he should do a series on relationships. He does this series on relationships. It goes viral. Four million people watch the YouTube. This year, he went from five. He has received over 500 preaching invitations at other churches. I'm just telling you right now, God has a fast forward button. He can promote you. He can advance you. He can write the check. He can take the business off. Is there anybody thankful right now? I got to stand firm. I got to be patient. I got to wait on God because I don't want to force things if God's not in it. Just, he's saying, no, just like a farmer waits for the check, waits for the breakthrough, waits for the miracle, stand firm and wait on God. Everybody gets excited about blessing. Nobody gets excited about patience. But I have learned through experience, I've got to get good at waiting on the timing of the Lord. I got to wait on God. I remember when I first moved, I moved to Los Angeles in 1998 and I moved to LA. I became a youth pastor at a church in East LA is where I worked for six years. And so I became a youth pastor at 19 and my first youth group, we had 17 kids in this little room. I led the worship from piano, got up, did the announcements, preached the message, got to the front door and said hi to everybody. It was awesome. You would have loved it. Revival. And so, and so, so I was in East L.A., and the church went through some wacky stuff, and the senior pastor passed away of a sudden heart attack, and then we had some transition. And then when they appointed the new pastor, I was like, no, nah, I'm out. No, that's going to be a no for me. And, um, but, and so I remember going to God. I said, God, I want out of this thing now. And I can tell you, I've only heard God speak audibly to me a few times in my life, and this is one of them. And God spoke so clear to my heart. God said, I'm not going to release you from this place until you learn all that you need to learn here. And so I told the Lord, no. Mm -mm. Go back, pray again, come back when you're ready. I'll just stand here and wait. I'm not going to, and I knew what he was saying. Stand firm. Be patient. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm leading you. I wonder if this could be a year that instead of buckling to your frustration, you stand firm and you're patient and you're waiting on a green light from God. Usually when you stand in patience, what's attached to patience is always perseverance. I've got to patiently endure. I've got to patiently persevere. And I just believe this. If you know who God is, you can go through anything. Write down number two. Write that down. If you know who God is, you can go through anything in the world. I can be waiting for years. I can be waiting for breakthrough. I can be patient on God because I know he's good. I know he's faithful. I know he's loving. I know he won't betray me. I know he won't leave me. I know he won't abandon me. So I can go through patience and I can persevere through anything because I know who God is. 
Watch, watch how he says it. This is the message translation. Look how James continues on. And he says this in the MSG message translation. He says, take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything and they went through everything and never once quit all the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power. And you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares he cares right down to the last detail. Oh, God, I feel, that's so good. I feel like slapping somebody. That's so good. He cares. He cares to the last detail. When you know who God is, when you understand his faithfulness, I can go through hell on earth. I can wait on God, persevere through anything, because I know God is in control. He's seated on the throne. He will not forsake me. He will not abandon Somebody give him some praise today. He is not a liar. He is not a man. He is God, and he's in control. Job has staying power because Job, I think, was thinking about verses like this. Psalm uh, 37, Psalm 37, uh, verse 25. I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their children begging for bread. When you know that God will show up, when you know that God will show off, you can go through hell on earth and be like, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I have never seen God make their children beg for bread. He's too good. So how good is, how good is James? James is like, how do I get into your head? I'll use a farmer because you know, you know what that looks like. And they're waiting for their harvest. And oh yeah, Job. You, Job! Job lost cattle and kids and health and wealth and reputation and lost it all, and yet Job is the guy that says, listen, I came in this thing naked, I'm going to leave naked, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's like, throw your best shot at me, you're going to find me in church, hands raised, voice lifted, it don't matter, I don't have nothing, I don't deserve nothing, God has been better to me than I ever imagined, he's been greater to me than I ever deserved, somebody give him a praise, if you feel like Job, I don't care what you throw at me, you're going to find me worshiping God. Job has staying power. Job has staying power. His wife went crazy. He's like, woman, simmer. I'm going to praise God. So he says, you remember Job? Remember Job had staying power. Job lost everything. But in the end, because he persevered and had patience, in the end, God gave him double. And in the end, watch how Job says this. Put it up, Job 42, verse 5. This is my favorite. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Oh, God, that, I'm telling, that is so good. What? Because watch this. When you, when you patiently persevere, it's all off hearing. I know I've been hearing preacher. I've been hearing podcasts. I've been hearing my friends. I've been hearing the connect group. But when you endure and you persevere, you'll show up and you will see how good God is. There is a difference between hearing about how awesome he is and the difference between experiencing how awesome he is. A lot of people want the fruit of perseverance. We don't want the work of perseverance. And what the Bible is saying, James is saying, listen, you have patience like a farmer. You endure and have staying power like Job. And when you do, you will watch God explode. He'll hit the fast forward button and your world will get rocked. And I'm preaching to somebody right now that's waiting on God and a breakthrough and a miracle. And I want to tell you right now, have patience, have perseverance. God's going to show up. And the only way, the only way that you can patiently persevere is by just knowing who God is. 
People say, are you freaking out? Are, 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 you, are you struggling with anxiety? No, I'm good. Why? I know who God is. When, when our daughter was diagnosed, and, and, and we, that was the hardest season I've, I have faced. And I remember my wife making a comment when we started, we, got, we had to get a lot of tests to have more children. And even, even, it was very traumatic having more kids. And I remember my wife saying something one day. She said, I can't, I can't handle, if something else happened to, if another kid had what Georgia has, I, I wouldn't be able to handle it. And when she said, I thought to myself, if our home faces another tragedy, could I handle it? And I remember thinking, yep, I can. I, I can handle anything because I know who God is. I know God doesn't make kids sick. I know that God doesn't force people into hard times. I know that God is not cruel. God is not mean. I know God is good. God is gracious. God is kind. God is loving. God is compassionate. God is full of mercy. God is full of justice. I, I just never seen the righteous forsaken. He says, so take your mentors, the prophets, you see how they could go through anything and everything. And Job had staying power because Job was just like, look, I was not promised health and wealth and I was not promised a, a, a floating fairy lifestyle. I was, I was promised Jesus and that's what I got and I'm going to be good with it. Amen, Amen to that? Amen. So then he's like, hey, I, I'm very well aware that patience and person, nobody wrote down in their 2019 resolutions, God, let this be the year. I really want patience and perseverance. Nobody. Everybody was like, blessing, favor, grace. Nobody was like, I just want a year of perseverance. So James is like, okay, let's just get practical. How can you go through a season of patience and perseverance so that it's the verses we read? And write down number three. I love this thought. Practical power. Get the most out of your pain. Oh. Life is only fun if you can learn how to suck the marrow out of moments. So if you're going through hell on earth, you ought to let the, let the feelings emerge and the betrayal feelings and all that because I, I want to know what that feels like. I want the most out of every moment so I can get the most out of my pain. If you don't get the most out of your pain this time, you're going to have to face it another time. I'd rather get, so he's like, let's get practical with your pain. This is what you do. So he goes, hey, is anybody among you sick? And watch this. He's going to talk about the difference between physical sickness and spiritual sickness. He said, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church to come to your house or hospital room and let them lay hands on you and pray for you. This is very important. What the Bible is teaching you is you're going through hell on earth. Don't you go through it alone. The worst thing you could ever do is try and hide out and hibernate and be in isolation. The devil can only pick you off if you are by yourself in isolation. You are no good by yourself. But when you are with the, the brotherhood and you're with the community and the family of God and they're coming around you and laying hands on you and blessing you and praying hell, the Bible says you will recover. Like, I'm, I'm so old. I'm 30 now. I got four chest hair now. Turning 40 this year. I'm too old to go through life by myself. If I go through a hard time, I'm calling everybody and their mom that has faith. I need your faith. I need your faith. 
I need your faith. I need you at the hospital. I need you in the home. I need you in the office. Come lay hands on me. I need God. Said if any of you is sick and you're facing things like migraines or cancer or leukemia or diagnosis or back pain, if your knee hurts, call for people that love Jesus and will declare that Jesus will heal you. Jesus had a healing ministry and Jesus has a healing ministry because the Bible says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same Jesus that healed people that were lowered through a roof, the same Jesus that healed blind people and mute people and deaf people and dead people can still heal people today. So here, hear me very clearly. When you go through hell, you ought to be quick to get that phone and call people. But I, I, I think you ought to be that person that's like you're looking for opportunities to lay your hands on people. If you're single, that's not a word for you. Keep your hands to yourself. Don't be a creep in church. Just use alligator arms. Don't extend your hands. Just right here. Ten and two. So he says, if any of you, if, if, if there's anybody that's sick, let them call. Remember that movie, Ghostbusters? Who are you going to call? When you go through a hard time, do you have like three people or five people you can call? Because life can touch anybody. So he said, if you're sick, call and they'll pray and the prayer of faith. What is a, what is a faith prayer? An accent, a volume, a personality? A faith prayer is just a trust, I believe, and I have confidence in Jesus. A faith prayer could be a whisper. So if anybody prays with faith, they'll recover. And then it's almost like he thinks and he's like, oh yeah, and by the way, that's for the physical sickness. But if any of you are sick in your soul, sick spiritually, confess your sins one to another and God will heal you. Notice he does not say forgive. Why? Because our sins have already been forgiven. Jesus has forgiven your past. He has forgiven your present. And he has forgiven your future. So we don't confess our sin to get forgiveness. I already have forgiveness when I believe in Jesus and confess and declare the cross. So I don't confess. I do not get forgiveness by confessing my sin. I get healing from confessing my sin. Because the enemy can only lord over your sins over you until you confess the blood of Jesus, the cross of Christ. Well, as soon as I confess, it's like sin becomes a balloon in your heart. And all of a sudden, it's like, I got this secret. I got this. Remember, you are only as sick as your secrets. Sin will not kill you. Silent sin will. And so, and so when that balloon gets going, as soon as I confess it, the whole thing gets deflated. And now I feel great. So he's just being practical. That's for physical sickness. This is for spiritual sickness. So he says, if you have, if you have sin, confess your sin. You ever get a sunburn? Come on, white people, raise your hand. You go to Cabo, first day. You be that guy that didn't put on sunscreen. Burn. Oh. Don't touch me. Don't nobody touch me. Laying in bed like this. I don't want any sheets. No, it's just, it hurts. 
I've been that guy, and I'm like always like, Julia, I need aloe vera. Aloe vera. And you get that oimy, you get that, oh, it's like, oh. When you confess your sin, Jesus can begin to heal and touch the areas that have been hurting and to touch the areas that, you know, sin will make you so awkward. You ever interact with somebody, you're like, What'd you do? Because <laughs> it just messed with you. And the enemy knows it. And so does James. So he goes, hey, you're going to have to patiently persevere. And let's get practical. While you're waiting, invite people to pray for you. And be good at confessing your sin. It would just, could you imagine patiently persevering and having secrets in your life? That's like a double a really bad cocktail. We have a friend recently who was telling us a story. This guy's awesome. He's really cool. He's a really, really great guy. And was started to deal with anxiety first time. And so they go to talk to this guy about anxiety. And as they're talking about the anxiety, he confesses something he hasn't told anybody. And when he confesses it, it wasn't the anxiety that was the root. It was the sin that was the root. Sin will mess with you and manifest in such different ways, might as well get down to the root of it and get it out of you. So James is awesome. He's like patient like a farmer, persevere like Job, ask people to come pray for you, confess your sins, and then he ends, worship team, you can come join me, and then he ends with a thought that you ever be reading something in the Bible, and you're like, okay, I'm tracking, I'm tracking, whoa, you took a left turn there, why? James ends, these are his last two verses, his last thought, and I think it's because he's at the end and he's writing down with such passion and he gets out this last thought that's so important, it's so pertinent, it is so preserved for this moment, and he ends with this thought. Read with me, 19 and 20. Watch how he ends. This is the whole, the, the ending of the whole book. Finally, as members of God's beloved family, we must go after the one who wanders from the truth and bring him back. For the one who restores the sinning believer back to God from the air of his way, gives back to his soul life from the dead, and covers over countless sins by their demonstration of love. Write down the last thought today. Restoration is his priority, and it should be ours. Like restoration is number one on God's priority list. God loved us so much. He wanted to restore relationship with us so much. He sent his one and his only son to restore a broken relationship. We serve the God of restoration. What is broken, he loves to restore. What is disassembled, he tries to assemble. Jesus came and all he did was restore the withered hand. He restored eyesight where it was lost. He restored his, this child that was sick. He restored a woman at the well who's bankrupt, who was bankrupt in her soul. He, Jesus was a restorer. And now he calls us to be obsessed with restoration. So it's almost like he ends the whole thing and he's, he leaves patience and perseverance to talk about Restoration. I have this friend that, that uh, 
Every time he tells me a new story about what he's doing, I just sit there and I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I just am like, you amaze me, you inspire me because he's in this season right now where he's going back three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, and he's restoring broken relationships and fallout and burnout and people that he totally just left in the dust. He's going back and restoring. And I'm like, bro, when you do that, you are just like Jesus. You look like the gospel because God's highest priority is restoration. We don't serve the God that breaks relationships. We don't serve the God that divides families. We don't serve the God that pinpoints this, that, and the other. We serve the God that restores relationship. It's his highest priority. Some of you are sitting here in church like, I don't even know what I'm doing here today. It's just because God wants to restore you. In fact, I was preaching in, in, in New Mexico recently. And this, this mom came up with two special needs kids. And she had three books for me to sign. And so she had this one boy in a wheelchair and this other teenage girl. And she, you know, she had arm braces. And then the third book, she said, okay, I'm going to ask you to sign this book. But only if you choose to accept this mission. I was like, well, now, now I'm interested. What was the, what's the mission? She said, well, I have, a, I have another kid that has walked away from faith, won't come to church. She said, I want to give you this book to sign, but will you put it in your bag and bring it back to L.A.? I think I can convince her to come and get the book from you. I said, let me sign that thing and put it in my backpack right now because restoration is God's highest priority and restoration should be our highest priority. So restoration is what God is all about. Restoration is what he places the highest priority on. It's actually what he invites us to be obsessed with as well. And I think James is putting this as his priority. I think James is saying this because there's nothing worse than living a season of patience and perseverance and being so focused and fixed on that. So James, at the end of the book, is giving us the solution on how to get through patience and perseverance. It's by not thinking about it at all. He's like, so, if you really want to get through patience and perseverance and practical wisdom, just go be obsessed with people that don't know God and need to come back to God and need the love of Jesus and demonstrate that, and all of this will work itself out. Like, I, I, I just got to be honest with you. I'm like, God, I want out of here. God's like, no, you can't leave. So I spent another three years. I will tell you with a clean conscience, those three years felt like three days. Those three years went by like this. Why? Because I never felt like, man, I'm patiently persevering. I just put my aim and my focus on restoration and bringing people to the love of Jesus. And that consumed my life. And so it went by in the blink of an eye. I want to encourage somebody. If you're patiently persevering, don't put your eyes on that. Put your eyes on restoration. Come on, let's stand to our feet together and thank Jesus together. God, we thank you that right now.